All right, if you've got a Bible, you can go ahead, open it up to Jeremiah 23, uh, as we are starting this morning, uh, the season of Advent. Uh, If you are exploring Christianity, uh, or maybe you just didn't grow up in a church uh, that uh, observed any sort of church calendar, what is Advent uh, that we've been talking about so far? Well, Pastor Jamie already kind of hinted at it. Uh, it, is, uh, it is not uh, what we commonly think of. Here, here's how I think we, we commonly understand the season of Advent. It is this countdown to Christmas, right? It's, it's gingerbread cookies and, and office, uh, awkward office Christmas parties that no amount of old fashions can make better uh, as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ into our world, the, the good news of God with us. Uh, but actually, in its, in its truest understanding of Advent, we, we actually don't get to Christmas until the very, very end. Uh, for most of church history, and, and for many Christians still around the world today, Advent is a season to reflect not on the first coming, but the second coming, the second Advent of Jesus Christ. Uh, A chance, in other words, not so much to look back at the birth of Jesus, but to look forward to the return of Jesus at the end of time. In other words, it's a season for us to reflect on God's plan for our world, for Jesus Christ to come back and remake all of creation and every Christian into something more beautiful than you will have a category for. Where Jesus Christ will wipe away every tear from our eyes, there will be no more evil, no more sorrow, no more sin, where if you are a Christian, you will now spend years without end experiencing and enjoying the breathtaking brilliance of Jesus Christ living in the fullness of all that his death and resurrection has won for us. And even eternity won't be enough to take that all in. It will be this endless celebration of the extravagant love of God in Christ that restores a broken world and renews undeserving sinners and sufferers like you and me into the very glory of Jesus himself. I mean, that's what you were made for. Advent is what you were made for. You were made to experience a sinless, shameless life with God on this earth. And it's this Advent hope that is lurking behind every longing we have, behind, behind every ache in our hearts is in some form an ache inside of us for Advent. And so this Advent season, we are going to explore these longings that we all have and how they are ultimately satisfied in the return of Jesus. And the first longing that we're looking at this morning is the longing for justice. So follow along as I read Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 6. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. 
For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you've scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you've done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend to them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. For the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land in his days. Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteous Savior. Uh, here is the <laughs> uh, sophisticated, nuanced, complex, rich, uh, uh, analyzed by scholars in every field plotline to every action movie that has ever been created. There's a bad, good guy who kills a whole bunch of bad guys. That's what it is every time. And we know it's coming every time. It's no surprise to us. It happens in every single one of them, and yet we line up every single time to see them. Why? Because we love justice. We love it. We, we cheer when it's served. We protest when it's denied. You know, when Johnson & Johnson a few years ago was found guilty of knowingly selling baby powder with asbestos in it and had to pay out $4.6 billion, we all cheered. Justice has been served. When, when hundreds of thousands of people lost their lives in the Darfur genocide in Sudan, we, we all cried out. Justice had been denied. We long for justice, for humanity, for our people group. Uh, I lived in, in St. Louis when uh, Michael Brown was shot. It actually happened on the day of our wedding. We were out in South Carolina. We, we came back, Becca and I, to St. Louis. It was a tragedy. And I got to sit and listen and, and learn from black Christians, uh, brothers and sisters, who helped a, a white, western, autonomous, individualistic person like me whose sense of collective belonging doesn't go farther than my immediate family. Thank you, 18th century American enlightenment. I got to learn what it means to be a part of a, a bigger people group where when one person hurts, everyone hurts. When one person's been denied justice, everyone's been denied justice. We long for justice for the people we belong to. We long for justice for ourselves. You know, evil sadly has touched every person in this room. Some of us worse than others. But somewhere, somewhere in your life, you've been wronged. 
you've been taken advantage of. You've been left. You've been denied the dignity that you're due as a person. You've, you've suffered injustice. And when you do, you know it, it makes you feel small, makes you feel powerless. It makes you feel like a nobody. So where will we find justice? Uh, well, the good news of Christianity is that the God of the Bible is a God passionately committed to justice. Psalm 97 describes God as a king who sits on a throne of righteousness and justice. Psalm 11 takes it one step even further. It says that the Lord loves justice, that God is, is, is passionately, intensely invested in seeking the justice of his world. And here's what God's justice ultimately means. Everyone gets what they're due. That from the vantage point of, of God, who, who sees all and can do all, uh, there is no person too small, too powerless, too insignificant to not receive the dignity that they're due. God's justice means nobody is a nobody to God. That nobody is a nobody to this king. And in this morning's passage, Jeremiah shows us two things about the justice of God that we need to see to, to make sense of both the injustice that we see in our world, the injustice that we suffer ourselves, the promise of justice, and then second, the person of justice. So first, let's look at the promise of justice together. Here's the scene. Apparently, my ear is not big enough for this microphone. You would think I have enormous ears, but it's just not wanting to work out for me right now. Here's the scene, all right? It's pretty bleak that Jeremiah is prophesying into. God's people are divided up into two kingdoms. You got Israel in the north, Judah in the south. About 120 years earlier than our passage here, Israel is exiled to Assyria as punishment for their sin. And now Judah... Uh, is on the fast track in that same direction. All right, they, they have just begun themselves being exiled uh, over into Babylon after, after they have collapsed into a society of rampant, rampant injustice. And in the devastation of exile, Jeremiah offers a glimmer of hope, a promise of justice that God actually sees what's going on here. In verse 1, he says, Woe to the shepherds that are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil that you have done. Now, up until this point, uh, Jeremiah has been, you could say, uh, refreshingly honest about the sin that God's people have got themselves wrapped up into. But starting in chapter 23, he turns his focus now to the kings, the leaders. Because in the Old Testament, the ultimate responsibility for ensuring uh, the justice 
not only the oppressed, but everybody fell on the king. And, and the last four kings of Judah uh, have not been good kings. They've not been good shepherds. They've been terrible. They were corrupt, greedy, oppressive. And so God looks at his people, his flock, and he says, I see you. You've been unjust, but you are also yourselves the victims of my unjust leaders. I see you and I am going to do something about it because nobody is a nobody to this king. You know, one of the icons of, of uh, Western uh, justice in the Western world is, is Lady Justice. I'm sure you've seen, you know, her sculpture outside of uh, law, uh, courthouses before. You know, imagine her in your head, right? She's got the sword in one hand, scales in the other hand, and what over her eyes? A blindfold. Because in our Western world, we, we think uh, that true justice is detached, unbiased, dispassionate justice. Well, God's justice is just the opposite. He, he is not detached or dispassionate. God's justice is, is wide open, clear-eyed concern for those who have been denied the dignity that they're due. God's justice is not cold. His, his justice is his love in action in our world. And so with this love, a love that will never let us go, he looks at Judah, his people, who, who after all their sin, and believe me, it has been terrible, he still calls them my flock, my people. He says to them, I see you, and I care about you, and I'm going to do something about it, because nobody is a nobody to this king. Here is the good news of God's justice. He cares. The blindfold's off. He, he is passionately concerned about you. Is he biased? Yeah, because he loves you. That whatever has happened in your life, God says, I see you, I care about you, and I am going to do something about it because nobody is a nobody to me. And now this is where uh, I think... For some of us, you immediately see the other side of the coin, though. Uh, you see that, you know, here's how this all works, though. God's justice comes through judgment. That God will, he'll, he'll deliver his people here in this passage, but he'll do that through punishing their kings. That's what he says in verse 2. You, you haven't bestowed care on my people, uh, so now I'm going to bestow punishment on you. That, in other words, God's justice is based off of his moral standards that he actually measures all of us by. And, and modern people, like you and me today, we don't, we don't particularly like that. We like a God who sees the oppressed, the outcast, the downtrodden. We don't like a God who tells us how to live. Right? We think, I want to be free to live however I see fit. But, you know, if you, if you chase that line of thinking down, 
you'll actually, I think, run into a few problems with it. All right, first one is that it's actually pretty unworkable. Right, we say, I want to be free to do whatever I want to do. But do you realize you can't actually do whatever you want to do? You know, our desires are often in conflict with one another. I mean, for instance, I often have the desire to work out at night after my kids go to sleep. At the same time, I also have a very strong desire to sit on the couch and watch TV after they go to sleep. And one of them's got to win. By the sheer physical, social realities of our world, we're actually very seldom free to do whatever we want to do. But second, it's, it's not just unworkable, it's unjust. This idea that, that I should have absolute autonomy to do whatever I want to do denies the fact that, that we're actually indebted uh, to other people in our lives. You know, contrary to, to what we are raised to think, we are not the product of our own choices. People have invested in us, sacrificed for us, loved us, and, and so we, we actually don't completely belong to ourselves. We belong also to a part of a community, and to say, I'm going to live however I want to live is actually unjust because at some point, you have to sacrifice for the people who have sacrificed for you. But here's the third and, and really the biggest issue that we run into. This idea that, that I don't want a God who will see everyone and judge everyone based off of his moral standards, that this is asking you to give up way too much, way too much. Because if there's not a God of moral standards, then there's not a God of justice. You can't get rid of one without getting rid of the other. Here's what happens when you do. You say, okay, I want a God who is, who is okay and comfortable with me sleeping with whoever I want to sleep with. Okay. You have now just lost a God who cares about the fact that your dad walked out on your family when you were a kid. Because he has no moral standards. Anybody can do whatever they want, right? So he now has no justice. And that is asking you to give up way too much than you ever should. It is a terrible deal. Because it's asking you to give up the opportunity for healing in some of the biggest places of pain in your life. Because the promise of justice is not just that God sees, but that he saves. In verse 3, God says, I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them away. And I will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful an increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified nor will any be missing. What God is promising here is an incredible reversal of circumstances because he doesn't just say to Judah, I'm gonna bring you out of exile and back to how things were before. No, God says, I will make you fruitful an increase in number. You know what that is? That is the promise of his covenant blessing to Abraham. God is promising his people here not a return to business as usual, but a restoration that actually will bring, bring blessing out of their brokenness. 
It's what theologians call the the restorative justice of God, that that when he intervenes to bring justice to those who've been denied it, to set right what's been made wrong through his unspeakable compassion, we actually emerge more dignified, more whole, more flourishing than we were before. It's like the, uh, the Japanese kintsugi pottery, sure you've heard about this. Uh, they, they take pottery uh, that's been broken and they actually put it back together and they put it back together by using this liquid resin that looks like gold. And the final result is actually a piece of art that is more beautiful and more valuable than it was before it was broken. That's how God's justice works. When he intervenes, He does a restorative work of grace where you actually come out on the other side more beautiful than before you were broken by divorce, before you were shattered by racism, before you were sucker punched by abuse. And this is what we look for during the season of Advent, the the ultimate advent of God's justice when at the end of time he will set everything right. Renewing all of creation and every Christian into spiritual kintsugi, into masterpieces that are more beautiful than ever before we experienced a moment of injustice. And why? Because nobody is a nobody to this king. So the promise of justice. Second, then, the person of justice. Uh, Here is the big issue with everything that God's been saying so far. How is he going to do this? How is he going to do it? I mean, these are lofty hopes here. How is God actually going to achieve all of this? Right? In the Bible, God executes his justice through his kings, through the line of David. So here is the status of them right now, okay? The Jehoiakim, the most recent king, has just been carted off to Babylon After in the verse just before our passage, God promised none of your sons will ever sit on your throne, period. End of story. Present king is a man named Zedekiah, his uncle, who uh, in the most nuanced description of him is an idiot, right? His story will end with uh, his sons being murdered in front of him, his eyes being plucked out, and then he will go and be imprisoned in Babylon for the rest of his life where he is mocked uncontrollably. You thought our news is depressing. God needs a king to execute his justice, but the line of David is done. It's shot. It's over. So how can there be justice now? Well, in verse 5, Jeremiah describes a soon-to-come king who who will be the perfect king, who will do what, what no other king did who will establish God's justice not only over his people, but over the entire world. And here's how he describes him. First, he'll be surprising. Verse 5, he says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. Uh, that word that's translated branch, uh, a righteous branch, would, would actually be better translated sprout. 
Doesn't sound as interesting, but that's kind of the best way to translate it. Think of a, a, a small piece of uh, vegetation that just randomly shoots up uh, out of nowhere. Right? Life emerging uh, out of a place that seems lifeless. It, it's a metaphor for the line of David, which at this point in the story of the Bible seems dead, lifeless, over, end of story, no more. And yet God is saying, out of the devastated line of David will come, will sprout a surprising act of his faithfulness to his promises. A king, verse 5, will come who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In other words, a perfect king one who will finally execute God's justice to those who've been denied it. And it was this promise of a a righteous sprout that became the hope of God's people when they were in exile. And so when the exile ended and and God's people returned to the land, some of them who, who were still clinging to this promise of a righteous king who would establish God's justice through the whole world, they settled in this tiny little insignificant patch of land that they called Nazareth. You know what Nazareth means? It's the Hebrew word for sprout. They named the town Sproutville. And in God's surprising kindness from this town in the middle of nowhere will come Jesus Christ, born of the line of David, born in the town called Sprout as God in the flesh, come himself to be the perfect king, the one we've always wanted and yet never had. He'll be surprising and he'll be successful Verse 6, when this king, Jesus, comes in the days of Judah, or in his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. This, This perfect king, Jesus, in other words, will usher in this age. That that will be an absolute triumph of God's restorative justice. When the whole family of God will share in the blessings of this king, and not just Israel and Judah, but But as Isaiah 42 says, the great mission of Jesus will be to bring his justice to the nations. That God's justice will one day stretch across the entire face of the earth where not only will we be given the dignity that we are due, but we will walk in God's blessings that we we were never due. This is the great hope that Advent is pointing us toward when Jesus returns to fully establish his kingdom on earth, evicting all evil, sorrow, and sin from it. And as Revelation 21 tells us, he will greet us by wiping every tear from our eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. You know, when I was a kid, I, uh, I wanted to play football, really wanted to play football. And so every year I asked my parents, can I play football? Can I play football? Can I play football? Finally, seventh grade, middle school football team uh, comes around. I get to play football. 
Now, at that age, I was almost as tall as I am right now, probably about 50 pounds skinnier. So whoever thought it was a good idea to put me out there in pads deserves to lose their job for life. But uh, during a game, you know, it's the classic, right? There's this big pile. Everybody's just kind of on top of each other. Someone uh, falls on top of me and someone falls on top of them. And, And long story short, my left shin gets snapped clean in half. It, it is broken in half, right? My leg looks like the letter L. And uh, I am sitting there uh, with this, this leg that is bent like a 90-degree angle, and uh, we find out in the process I'm allergic to morphine. So at this point, I am running on sheer adrenaline. And they get me to the hospital, and before they operate on my leg to put these metal rods in it, they have to reset my leg back in line. And as you can imagine, right, as I'm sitting there thinking they're about to snap my leg where into what? This this is the most painful thing that I have and, and at this point thinking probably ever will experience for the rest of my life. Only I don't remember a thing about it. Thank you, Versed, a medication they gave me so that I would have no memory of what happened, right? Some of you probably wish you could have taken that for your family Thanksgiving dinner this last week. <laughs> we all have pain. We all have pain we wish we could unremember. You've been hurt. You've been left. You've been taken advantage of. You've been denied, not just once, over and over, the dignity that you are due as a person. You have suffered injustice. And the hope of Advent is the coming King Jesus who says, in my kingdom, nobody's a nobody. A king who will set everything right, who will establish God's justice over every square inch of this earth and renew you into his very own resurrection likeness that will be so glorious and the sight of Jesus so beautiful it will erase from our memory the very worst that has ever happened to you, to your family, to your kids, to your race, to our world. This is the person of justice we're waiting for. He's a surprise. He's successful. And lastly, he's sacrificial. You see, there's, there's an elephant in the room we haven't addressed yet. Here's the big question we've been avoiding up until now. What if I'm the bad guy? What if I'm not just a victim of injustice, but also a perpetrator of it too? What if I've failed to give the people in my life the dignity that they're deserved? God saves the innocent by judging the guilty. It can't happen any other way. So what if God's justice should crush me? I... Years ago, probably 30 years ago at this point, uh, there was a concentration camp survivor. His name was Yehel Denor. And he was being interviewed on TV about the day that he went to court during the Nuremberg trials to testify against Adolf Eichmann. He was one of the the, uh, architects of the Holocaust. And when Denor got into the courtroom, 
and he saw Eichmann, he started sobbing uncontrollably and then passed out, collapsed onto the floor. And the person interviewing him uh, on TV asked him, what, what happened when you saw him? Was it, was it fear? Was it, was it rage? Was it trauma? Denor said, no. I realized all at once Aikman was not the godlike army officer who had sent so many to their deaths. I realized he was an ordinary man. And I became afraid for myself. Because I saw I am capable to do this too. Because I'm just like him. This man who had suffered unthinkable injustice looks at the man who caused it and realized, uh-oh, he's human. And so am I. Meaning I could have been capable of doing the same things that he did. There's nothing that's separating us. We are both humans. And if you think, okay, that's, that's a little extreme. All right, let me just kind of make sure we're all, no one's getting off the hook here. Uh, imagine for a second that there was a device on your body that uh, for your entire life recorded every complaining word or thought that you made about the times that you didn't feel like you were being given the dignity that you are due from other people. And at the end of your life, you are standing before God who plays this tape back before you and says, you know how I'm going to judge you? Not by my standards. We'll set that aside for a second. I'm going to judge you based on how well you gave to other people the dignity that you expected them to give to you. How you faring? I'm not doing good. What if the reality of our sin means the coming of God's justice ultimately isn't good news but bad news because it should crush me too? Well, we need to see then the sacrifice of King Jesus. In Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. That right there is the answer to the elephant in the room. You see, we're complex. We are victims and perpetrators. We, we are the downtrodden and we're the bad guy. And 2 Thessalonians 1 says that at the end of time, we will all stand before the just, inescapable judgment of Jesus. And how will we escape that? 
by Jesus dying for you. By Jesus the King climbing up on the cross that was meant for me and dying to satisfy in himself God's own righteous judgment for my injustices so that through faith in him, through faith in his sacrifice, we will one day feel his strong but tender hand on our cheek at the day of wiped tears, welcoming us into an eternity of his justice, making all things new. Now, why would he do that? Why would he do that? Because nobody is a nobody to this king. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the good news of Advent. That as uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said, the, the arc of history bends toward justice, your justice. Holy Spirit, fill us this morning with this great Advent hope. That there is a king, the one we've always wanted and never had, who says, in my kingdom, nobody is a nobody who will set everything right in our lives that's been wronged, who knows that it's not just broken bones, it's broken stories that we have suffered and will make everything new because on the cross, he died for everything that I have undone. Amen.